0: Good morning, Gospel Hope, and welcome back as we continue in our series entitled Knowing God. Um, I pray that during this past week we all celebrated our mothers, or at a minimum, we savored what it meant uh, to experience and benefit from the ministry of mothers, whether your mother is still physically with you um, or not. But today we return to the dialogue of our Heavenly Father. That is, we're exploring what it means to know God, and we're going to specifically look at what it means to know God through the study of his names. Now, if we were to cover all of the names of the Lord featured in the Bible, all the names and titles, that would be a 52-week series. And so we're obviously not gonna be able to cover all of them today, but we will be able to cover enough of them to get the essence of what it means to know God through the adventure or the discovery of exploring his names. Just a brief walk through the Bible immediately, you realize that our predecessors in the faith during the biblical era placed a much higher level of emphasis on names than we do today. Uh, Many of the names in the Bible, not just hard to pronounce, not multi-syllabic only, but they are also names that are packed filled with meaning whether that's the individual characters, even some of the opponents of God's people, some of the names of the geographic places, just names seem to be rich with all kinds of cultural meaning and significance. Well, it shouldn't surprise us as our God also gives us many names to know him by, and those names also feature many different nuances. And uh, as we prepare to kind of walk through a few passages of Scripture, and talk about the name of God, I wanna take you on a brief walk down memory lane. I don't know if you can go this far back, but in 1999, uh, there was a singing group called Destiny's Child. And during that year, they gave us the hit single entitled, Say My Name. Uh, this particular song, I'm not going to sing it in its entirety as much as I'd like to because I didn't bring my band with me and I'd have to do it a cappella, But nevertheless, I am going to read for us some of the chorus from this song, because in this song entitled Say My Name, the chorus is very telling in terms of the significance and the importance of names. Follow me carefully. It goes this way. Say my name, say my name. If no one is around you, say, baby, I love you. If you ain't running game, say my name, say my name. You acting kind of shady, ain't calling me baby. Why the sudden change, say my name, say my name. Now, even if you're not familiar with the group Destiny's Child and you never heard this song before, you can probably figure out just from the brief chorus some of the issues that gave rise to the need to write the song and what the larger song was about. You see, the writer of the song is writing to her uh, man or a person that she's in relationship with, and she's noticed a trend in his behavior, and that is whenever they are together, he speaks to her one way, but when they are apart, he speaks another way. And during the times when they are separate, she is suspicious that he is being unfaithful. Why? Because when he calls or when she calls him on the phone in moments when they're separate, there are times when he is not as doting when he is not as specific as he normally is, but he becomes very general in his conversation. And therefore, she makes the request, well, we're on the phone, why don't you say my name? Why don't you say my name? Because if you would say my name, you could clarify any ambiguity that there might be, both for any person that you're with, that I am not just anyone, but I am your only one. And the essence of that lyric, driving this particular these two particular people One who wants to to have the affirmation that they are in a unique and exclusive relationship through the exchange of a name and then also wanting the clear pronunciation and the knowing of the name to be said out loud as an advertisement to others who might be around wondering about the fidelity of their heart or the strength of their relationship. I believe that the essence, the character of that is even kind of a fitting backdrop for us to explore the subject of God's name. So when we turn in our Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter three, verses 13 through 15, this is going to be the launchpad for our study in the names of God. But as we do this launch into the study of the names of God, why? I believe that it is through God's name, through his constant disclosure and all the names that he gives us in the scripture, that the Lord is constantly drawing us into a relationship of greater intimacy. And as he does so, he does it as an affirmation to us and as an advertisement to the world of what it looks like to be his people. I believe that God gives us his name as a constant means of drawing us into greater degrees of intimacy with him as an affirmation for us that we are his, and as an advertisement to the rest of the world of what it looks like to belong to God indeed. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn with me in them to Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, and it is there that we will find today's basic template through which we will explore the names of God. The scriptures read this way. It says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? Now, this is an important question because if you understand the backdrop of what's happening there in the book of Exodus, God's people on the eve of being delivered from the hand of Pharaoh as God is about to bring in all these plagues, They have been living, as I like to call it, in the belly of bad theology. They are surrounded by the idol gods of Egypt. They are completely familiar with the idea of there being gods. And so no doubt when Moses comes to God's people and says, God sent me and I'm here to deliver you, they're going to want to know, well, what's his name? Because they are not going to want to follow one of those idol gods from the Egyptians. They want to differentiate. They want to know exactly who it is. And so this first verse gives us our first point, and that is we want to know what is the need for God's name. The second verse, or that is verse 14, gives us some additional insights. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The second thing we must explore is the unique nature of God's name. So one, the need for his name. Number two, the unique nature of God's name. What is this whole business of saying, my name is the I am that I am, or I am who I am? The third verse will give us even additional clarity as to where we're going in our study of God's names as God says this to Moses. He says, God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations." These three verses give us our framework for today's walk through some of the names of God. We want to explore the need for God's name. We want to explore the nature of God's name. And then thirdly, we want to explore the notoriety of God's name when he tells us that it is a name to be remembered throughout all generations. And so, again, continuing to look at your Bibles as we will reference these passages a few times throughout today's message. Let's unpack exactly what it is that I refer to or we refer to in the scriptures as the need for God's name. Well, as I mentioned earlier, again, the backdrop within Egypt is one where God's people are couched in a foreign land, not on their own terms and not practicing their own culture and therefore not even having their own theology or their own God. However, God reaches in and he says, tell them that I am has sent you. You see, the primary need for God's name is differentiation. Names help us to differentiate. Even though today we don't use names the same way that our predecessors in the Bible did, our names are not necessarily packed with all kinds of meaning. Our names are unique identifiers for us. Names are crucial. Think about this. In your most personal business affairs, your name is important to accessing vital data about you. Think about this. In your most key relationships, names are vital in how we exchange them. Consider for a moment that when two people reach the ultimate step in their romantic relationship and they decide to get married, what happens? There is an exchange of a name. New names are put on critical documents like Mortgages and deeds and car loans and other things that that couple may procure together. But it is the names that that are very much involved in those very most intimate relationships. Even in business, when two businesses decide to come together, someone has to do something with the name. What's the new name of this entity? And so names are important even for us, even if we are not actively involved in the same kind of very multi-layered exotic name creation that we saw in the Bible. No shade on the names in the Bible because they're very meaningful. Many of them define how God impacted that person or other names may determine the circumstances of one's birth and origin. Or names could also outline a particular season of struggle that was happening at a person's life and that became a marker for their name. And so the names are important, whether they are contemporary names or whether they are the historic names of the Bible. And so God's name should be all the more important for us. Why? Because God's name helps him or causes him, allows him and helps us to differentiate him from all the other forces that are vying and competing for our faithfulness. I want you to think about that. The name of God is crucial to the differentiation of who God is among all the other names, gods, and forces that are vying for my faithfulness. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was with the family and my phone rang and it was a gentleman on the other side of the phone who said that he was from the Fraud Protection Department of my particular financial institution. His scam, as it were, were to call me and tell me the need that I needed to set up a brand new ATM card and to cancel the one that I currently had. This individual had all kinds of general information about me, including my name. He had the last four digits of my card. He had my phone number, obviously he had called me. But the scandal broke down in just a few moments when he asked for a particular piece of information that was really unique. And that was he asked for my pin number. And it was in that moment that I knew that the level of intimacy that this person was trying to access and gain in my life was not one that he was allowed to have because I knew exactly what frauds look like. You need to know, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that there's always a fraud looking to gain access to your heart or your most sacred recesses of your life. And God wants to differentiate himself and clearly define who he is to let you know that he is not a fraud. The name of God is crucial to us. The need for it is crucial to us in differentiating God from all the other forces that would compete for our faithfulness and access to the most intimate recesses of our hearts. God wants us to know his name. So if God wants us to know his name, what has he done exactly about that? One of the first steps in authentic relationships is what I would call positive identification. Positive identification is this process, multi-layered where a person can go through and give more than just a label or a tag, but they must also give other pieces of information that clearly let you know that you're talking to the real deal or the real McCoy, and God is going to do that in spades in the lives of his people, not just show up and just say, Hey, God wants to talk to you in this with this general label of deity because everybody around town at that time in ancient Near East was using that label, but God wanted to double down, triple down even, and add real specifics to his name, and that 's what we see happening throughout the life of Israel, the life of the church, and hopefully throughout our lives as well. And so the need for God's name, once again, is we need a way to differentiate the one true living God from all other forces that would be competing or vying for our faithfulness. Well, what exactly has God done in scripture? Well, when the God of the Bible approaches Moses and tells him to approach his people, there are some names that are already on deck that are being used. You see, the the label, the title God here is the word Elohim, which is first found in the Bible in Genesis chapter one, verse two. It means that he is the mighty one and also is the one who is designated as the creator. Think about how crucial this is to Israel at this time in their life in Egypt when all of the gods that they see serving in the pantheon are gods who are over various aspects of the creation. But then here comes the God of the Bible, the God of covenant, the God of Moses, the God of their father saying, it's Elohim. I am the creator God. I'm the mighty God who created everything else that these guys are trying to be over. But not only is Elohim an important name in scripture that also dials us into the might and the creative capacity and power of God, but also Jehovah is on the table. Jehovah jumps off the pages for us uh, because in Genesis chapter 12, we we see that name becoming uh, corresponding with, with the God of relationship. So here it is, the almighty creator God has now come and desires covenant relationship with man and allows us to call him Jehovah. But then there's another name even more specific, which is Adonai, which means not only is he Jehovah, the God of relationship or the God of creation, the God of relationship. But more specifically, he is the Lord God who is my individual master, inviting us to see him, uh, us as his servant and he as our God. These three base names, Elohim, Jehovah and Adonai, the almighty creator, the God of relationship and covenant and the God who is your master and you are his servant. These three names will serve as a basis upon which most, if not all of the remaining names of God are built on in some contracted form. El Shaddai, or or Jehovah this, the Lord is my that, or the Lord is my master. We'll see this play out multiple times in scripture where these three serve as the basic foundation for how God wants to differentiate himself in the lives of his people. Now, while the first step in authenticating relationship is positive identification, which Israel is going to ask for and God is willing to provide. But the next step is this, it's in a grown relationship is unique identification. We move from just labels, capacity and character to actually an exchange of names. There's a moment in the New Testament that really drives this home and I wanna share it with you. It's the conversion of Saul or who we wouldn't later know as the apostle Paul. Follow these words in Acts chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. And falling to the ground, this is after this great light shone, and he's falling to the ground, right? He's blind. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And here's Saul's words. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You see the movement from the general, knowing that this is the Lord. Well, what's your name? Oh, this is Jesus, the differentiation. This unique identification, this is something that God wants to do in all of our lives. The Lord is not satisfied with the people who would just generally point to the skies and say things like, oh, he's the big man upstairs, or oh, he's the ultimate reality. God wants to clearly differentiate himself in the lives of his people, and he differentiates not only basis of his character and capacity to do things, but also on his name, how we refer to him. He wants us to know his name, that we might say his name. And in that, there is affirmation of our unique relationship and advertisement to the world of what relationship with the one true and living God looks like. This is also very helpful as we're studying through the scriptures. Think about this. The names of God um, help us cart even the uh, uh, the major themes of the Bible. So you think about Elohim, right, the almighty God, Jehovah, the God of relationship and covenant, and Adonai, the Lord and Master. This movement from the general to the specific even corresponds to how we see the larger themes of the bible revelation of god his character his nature relationship god so god reveals himself with a view toward relationship that in the outworking of that relationship he might be reverenced by us and so that's the same progression that we see from elohim to jehovah to adonai the lord shows himself in basic form and everyone sees it but it isn't just to show God is inviting into relationship, and it is only through the lens of, as as Moses and during his contemporaries would know it, through the lens of Jehovah that one can have covenant relationship with God. But even in the outworking of that covenant relationship, God wants his people to know him as Adonai or as master, and he is reverenced through that. This is the macro theme of the Bible, revelation that leads to relationship that results in reverence and is that kind of unique differentiation that God calls our heart to understand through the disclosure and the telling of his names. Here's what what I would want to close this out with. The names of God help us to not only know things about him, but it also progressively draws us closer to him. As we start to unpack some of these names, this movement from the general to the specific, I hope will warm our hearts and also make us more ready for worship and service. Let's take a look at verse 14. Verse 14 in Exodus 3 says this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, that I am has sent me to you. When I first read this as a young boy, I once again felt like perhaps God was giving uh, maybe a stiff arm or God was perhaps folding his arms and tell him, is your daddy talking or some other type of uh, machismo, divine machismo where God wasn't trying to show all of his cards. But in reality, as I matured in my look at the scripture, God is really showing a lot of the cards. As a matter of fact, he's showing just as many cards as humanity can possibly handle. You see, this unique title of I am that I am is a declaration that God is permanently and constantly eternal. He is the ever-present, self-sufficient God. This title, I am, that I am, is saying tons about God. It isn't clever, it isn't mysterious. There's a lot to be unpacked, but it is a beautiful declaration of who God is because he is the God who is constantly eternal and unchanging. James chapter 1, verse 17, a familiar passage to us, puts the unchanging, ever-eternal presence of God this way. Every good and perfect gift comes from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or no shadow of change right the immutability of god the fact that he is always that he is eternal and he is constant that 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 age after age he is the i am you look in the, you look in the past he's the i am you look in the future he's the i am he's always relevant and always present he is always there he is the eternal god and he is unchanging that should bring our hearts comfort not confusion but How exactly should this bring us comfort that God declares himself as the one who is eternal and immutable, eternal and unchanging? Well, I'll tell you why. It's intended to create for us trust when we live in a landscape of life that is inundated with change. God desires through the way we understand his names to call us up and cultivate in us deep trust while he is unchanging in a world and a life that is inundated with change. I want you to just sink back into the sands of the ancient Near East real quick and think about Israel's situation and the great change that they're getting ready to go through. Who more appropriate to reveal oneself to than the God who does not change and who is immutable? They need to hear that, and you and I need to hear it as well. Israel's life is getting ready to radically change in major ways. And there are going to be some things that God's going to do in the coming pages of Exodus that they've never seen done before, nor have they ever heard of. And what else do they need? They need a God that they know is both eternal and unchanging. And we need to know that same God, the I Am, who is the I Am. I want to read a few names to you that I hope would resonate in some meaningful ways. Listen to these. Throughout the scriptures, the I am shows up in this way. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, he showed up as Jehovah Jireh, that is to mean I am your provider. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, he showed up as Jehovah Ropha, which is to say I am your healer. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 16, he showed up as Jehovah Nisi, which is I am your banner in battle, right? In Exodus chapter 33, verse 13, he showed up as Jehovah Mekesh which is I am the Lord who sanctifies my people. In Judges chapter 6, verse 24, the Lord showed up as Jehovah Shalom, which is I am your peace. He said that to Gideon. In Psalm 23 he showed up as Jehovah rofi, Jehovah Jehovah rohi, or Jehovah rohi which is the Lord is your shepherd or I am your shepherd. In Jeremiah chapter 22 verse 6 or Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 6, he shows up as Jehovah tiskenu. Pronounce that one 3 times. It is I am the Lord your righteousness. In Ezekiel chapter 48 verse 35, he shows up as Jehovah shema I am the Lord who is there. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 3, he shows up to Hannah as the Lord Lord of hosts, the Lord who, 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 who fights and campaigns for those that are downtrodden and grieving and that leads the Lord's people in battle against the forces that are against them. I want you to think about these great names, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Ropha, Jehovah Nisi, right? Uh, Jehovah Makadish, right? The Lord, he's the one who sanctifies. Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Rohi, Jehovah Tishkanu, Jehovah Shema, right? And there's so many others. Now, I hear you, I hear you. You're sitting there on your sofa. You're there in front of your computer or your television or wherever you watch this message. And you're like, Pastor Rod, do you possibly expect us to write those down? Do you expect us to memorize them? What exactly are we supposed to do with all these names? This list of names, you can memorize them if you like. I think it might be a great thing. You can write them down. I hope you do and capture the scriptures that they come from. I believe that would be a good thing. But what is God doing? What is the the unique nature of his name and what did he intend to do? You see, the nature of God's name, the I am that I am, is one that I hope we can see that there is no single word that could possibly capture the essence of who God is in all of his glory. There's no single moment that could effectively capture all of who God is in any singular moment because he is the, I am right. He is the Lord who is eternal. So if there's no single word or moment that could effectively capture the essence of who God is, how does he effectively relate to his people and share with us who he is through this manifold witness or through this biblical brochure, where we get a chance to look at how God leverages or uses his power, his saving and redeeming power in the lives of his people Episode after episode, page after page, time after time, moment after moment, breath after breath, situation after situation. The litany of names that we find of God in the scripture are designed not to overwhelm us with some kind of list that we need to memorize. Or, man, if you didn't write all those down, you're not going to be able to get the secret code to unlock the favor of God. Or God's going to ask you tonight when you hit your knees, when you pray to him, ooh, you didn't call me Jehovah Rophe, so I can't talk to you right now no, that's not it. The litany of names is designed to be a great, beautiful brochure that allows us to understand that, again, the unchanging God can be trusted regardless of the times that are always changing. He also wants us to see this, that the uh, it is intended to show us that the almighty is also the all sufficient. In other words, God allows himself to be seen in these very local moments of need so that his almightiness is not generalized, but it is particularized in our hearts and we connect our faith to it and we love and adore him through it. So we see that the almighty is all sufficient in each one of the moments of life where I find myself being insufficient. Does that make sense? I hope it does. I was looking for an amen there. You probably maybe can give a thumbs up or hit your screen or something. But nevertheless, the nature of God, the nature of God's name is one that we are to know that it is eternal and that there is no one name or no set of names that we could give God that would ever capture his total fullness because he is eternal. But the Lord did not allow that to stop him. He has still appealed to us through a full brochure, the manifold witness of the Bible and the manifold witness of what the Holy Spirit unpacks in your life and in mine. Do you realize that right now in this season in our country and in your own life, the Lord is trying to actively add another layer to the brochure? Not make up new names for himself, but for some of you, you've only read about him as the healer. For some of you, you've only read about him as the provider. For some of you, you've only read about him as your peace. But the Lord wants you to realize him as your peace. And maybe a whole host of other things that are not necessarily captured verbatim in the scriptures, but he wants to do that today in your contemporary life because the God of the Bible resides in the lives of, the, of his people. And that is through the Holy Spirit. And so God is still unpacking himself today. Well, as that disclosure of what, God, of what we see read in the Bible becomes realized in our lives through this brochure of God's revelation, that's the nature of the Lord's name. I would say this, that the names of the Lord are intended to give us reasons to reach for him in worship in a world that is filled with reasons to worry. You heard a devotional earlier this week from pastor ryan from this very passage that i believe beautifully encapsulates this it's acts chapter 17 verses 24 through 28 the god who made the world and everything in it right who is that that's elohim being lord of heaven and earth uh that's the kairos that's adonai Does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Right. So he is eternal. He is independent. He is self-sufficient since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He's good. Right. And he has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth and having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek god and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him yet he is actually not far from each one of us why because it is in him that we live and move and have our being And even some of your poets said, for we are indeed his offspring. In other words, God is still in the business of revealing himself through the brochure of the manifold witness because he is not far from every one of us. And so the worries of our day are actually reasons that God says, reach for me in worship. I'm not far from you. I want to continue to reveal myself and give you multiple reasons to worship. Fresh new mercies every morning, multiple reasons to worship in a world that is giving you multiple reasons to worship or multiple reasons to worry because he is not far from every one of us and it is in him that we live and move and have our being glory be to God for the nature of his name it is not stale it does not go out of style it is not lacking in reverence or lacking in relevance and it's not something that we just look back in the, the diary of scripture and say oh well they had it good but we don't not our God the nature of his name is that he is the I am that he is the I am, I am. He is constantly present in our lives and eternal and unchanging. Well, let's take a look now at verse 15 in our original template passage. God says here in Exodus chapter three, verse 15, God also said to Moses, say to this people, I am the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you, that this is my name forever and thus i am to be remembered throughout all generations we said that this would help us understand not only the need for god's name the nature of god's name but also the notoriety of god's name notice god's desire that his name be expanded or understood or memorialized throughout all generations this is quite a, 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 a chilling idea i'm reminded in this moment of young salespeople on our team going out and trying to uh, convince our customers to buy from them. And one of the things that a young salesperson lacks oftentimes is experience. They also lack, because of how young they are, they lack the ability to engender confidence amongst senior buyers, people who look at them and say, you've not been in the industry that long. And so the only way that our young people who were filled with energy and creativity could actually do more than just sell these great, large, looming, fancy ideas, was that they had to provide our prospective customers with references. Reference checks were an awesome thing because you could now invite these people who we were selling to, to call former customers and say, don't take our word for it, take the word of someone else. How did these guys perform for you? What does this have to do with today's text? I want you to notice what God said to Moses. He's already said, tell him that I am has sent you. And he goes, oh, yeah. And tell him it's the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. In other words, God says, if telling you that I am is not enough, go check my references look back in your own family tree your legacy your lineage and your history dig back as far as you possibly can in your own history as a people and you'll be able to check my references and you'll know that i'm a good god that i'm an almighty god i'm a faithful god i'm an unchanging god and i'm a powerful god that's what it is the lord wants us to check his references he wanted israel to check his references and what would they find they would find that the i am who is eternally capable is also the God of their fathers, which means he is historically faithful. Well, guess what else the passage says to us in verse 15? Tell them not only am I the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, underscore, highlight, parentheses, do whatever you need to do in your Bible, if you're a person that writes in your Bible, he says, tell them that that very God has been sent to you. So, the eternally faithful, the eternally capable, historically faithful God is now personally available to you. He's come to you. This theme and this ethic, this notoriety of God's name will not cease because it even applies to us today. God, who is eternally capable and historically faithful, even though we may not know him through the list of names that I just read earlier in the previous point. The Lord is allowing us to know him through a name. And we're going to get to that name in just a moment. But that name rings with, saturated with, and is dripping with the eternal capability of God, the historic faithfulness of God, and now the personal availability of God to those who would place faith in him. So. When it comes to this God who wants the, his name to be expanded throughout all generations, how exactly is he doing it? How is God going to accomplish this multi-generational continuity of his name? The Bible has something to say about it. Number one, he advances his name through the reputation of his people. Look, listen to these words. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, no stranger to this passage, if my people who are called by my... I heard somebody out there said name. Thank you, Rick, Uh, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. The people would have a local expression of God's eternal capability, historic faithfulness and personal availability to manifest locally in their lives if they were turned toward the one true God. And he says if my people who are called by my name so god is in the business of advancing his name through the well-being of his people but he goes further god advances his name through his kings uh, and the foremost of which is found in isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7 for unto us a child is born to us a son is given And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called, his name shall be called, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the increase of his government and of the peace thereof there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth, how long? forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So God is interested in advancing his name through the legacy and heritage of his people, 2 Chronicles 7:14), Also through the momentum of the throne or having a king for himself, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. But he'll also advance his name multigenerationally through the church, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. What did Jesus tell his disciples to do? go and make disciples baptizing them and teaching them in whose name yeah in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit God is about the business of advancing His name, but the Lord goes further with this business of His name, and He wants it to be advanced through His Son. He advanced it through His Son because we find out that in Philippians chapter two, verse nine, it says that Jesus, per the work He has completed and accomplished, righteously, wonderfully, and gloriously on the cross, that Jesus has been given a name that is above every name. So now we found ourselves flatly and squarely in the New Testament, and while the New Testament pages are not littered with a series of hard to pronounce names for God. They are littered with one name, and that is the name of Jesus. I want you to remember the activities of Jesus when it comes to his relationship to the I am. Throughout the book of John, whenever Jesus would be challenged about his identity, he would say things like, oh, guess what? I am the bread of life or I am the door. I am the good shepherd. He would do that over and over again. And then one time, He even stunned everybody in the audience by saying before Abraham was, I am. So if there was anybody interested in knowing how was God multi-generationally conveying the name or advancing the cause of the great I am, they would see it done through Jesus Christ and through his people, the church. But there's more. There's more. When the Bible tells us that Jesus has been given a name that is above every name, What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it indicates, because Jesus comes to meet a need that is above every need. Yeah, he got a name that's above every name. Think back now in all the names that we've covered, people who needed water, people who needed peace, people who needed righteousness, people who needed healing, people who needed uh, defense in battle, people who needed a shepherd. The father comes along and says, all those things you've historically ever needed, your greatest need, all of those little needs were just a a, a part or an echo of your grand and great need for salvation. And that's what the name of Jesus is. It is Jehovah is my salvation. And that's why he has a name that is above every name, because he's meeting a need that's above every need. But then there's another name that is given to the Lord Jesus Christ that is so beautiful, that is so wonderful. Fast forward in your scriptures to the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verses 12 and 13. Look, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to repay each person according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This unique name, label and title of the Lord Jesus Christ What it shows us is not that God is out of the business of using names like he did in the Old Testament, but what he has done is he has aggregated all those names into the person of Christ. I guess that would be the word of the week. I know Jalen likes to put that out there. Word of the week is aggregate. All right. So the name of Jesus is the aggregate of all of those Jehovah titles and the El Shaddai's and Jehovah Shalom. He is the aggregate. It is all that put together is the salvation of God's people. He is the beginning and the end. For however far back you can go in time, all that God's people ever needed. Jesus is there. He's in the beginning. All that God's people could ever need in the future, multiple generations, God is there in the future. He is the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And so I hope that as we have been traveling through the scriptures and we disclose just a handful of the names of God, that you have been captured now by the need for God's name, because he wants to differentiate himself from all the other forces competing for our faithfulness. The notoriety of God's name, he wants to advance it through the well-being and the welfare of you and I. But the ultimate name under which Jesus or which the Lord wants to be known is through the name of Jesus, because it is through that name and no other name that salvation can be had. The Bible puts it beautifully over in the book of Hebrews when it said that God, who at various times and in various manners, spoke to the prophets, spoke to mankind through prophets. But in these last days, he is disclosing and revealing himself through his son. And so the reason that the the, the naming conventions of God as we see them seem to have slowed to a halt is they didn't slow to a halt, they met their aggregate. That is, in the person of Christ, who Paul describes as the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, as the eternal God who is unchanging, desires to be relational and have covenant with his people and come super close and be specific to them, as that God, as the almighty God and creator, comes close. The Godhead says, how could we express ourselves? How do we disclose ourselves? How do we reveal ourselves? How does the, the Elohim become personal? In the person of Christ. Jesus Christ is the name that is above every name. King of kings, Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega. He's all those names that the, that the, the saints of old, knew him in the past he's each and every one of them and he is all of them at once jesus christ is the name that the lord wants us to know and that is the lens through which he wants us to know him it was jesus himself who said that no man can come to the father except the father draw him except no man can come to the son except the father draw him this is the power point through which god wants to be known is through that name and so again Memorize the names, love the names, uh, spend time in the word through them devotionally because they unpack and, and, and they reveal very specific aspects of how God wants us to know him as Lord and Savior over those smaller events and episodes in our lives. But when you get done with that, I want to beg you, come back to the name of Jesus. Stay with the name of Jesus. It is in that name that you can trust that God is still disclosing and beautifully revealing himself. And he wants to reveal himself in the brochure of your life as well. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful to you for this wonderful adventure through your word. And your name is beautiful. Your name is glorious. Your name has some features that we we don't even have time to cover. But we know that through the revelation and the disclosure of the Holy Spirit, tethering us back to your word, tying our hearts to uh, your son, Jesus Christ, that what you want us to see and know about you is readily available. And I pray, oh God, for a special just revelation of yourself during this time in our lives. Lord God, we need uh, justice uh, to prevail, righteous justice in our country. Lord God, we need healing uh, in our country. We need provision as we see our economy get wonky, Lord God, in our country. Lord God, we still need you in all the ways you revealed yourself in the past. And Lord God, we just ask that you would just dynamically and beautifully reveal that both in us and in your people so that the world would see not only an affirmation. uh, We would not only see an affirmation of who you are in our hearts, but we would also see an advertisement of who you are and how, Lord God, you love on and care for your people. And this we pray in Jesus name. Amen.